Um, as our dear brother David has told you, my name is Bobby Morgan. It is a joy to be before you this morning. Um, I have been praying for your pastor. Um, anytime that you have something that interrupts your regularly scheduled program, like emergency surgery, that's a big deal. Um, but we serve a faithful God. That things were caught in time, that he was able to receive what he needed, and that he is, he is well, and he will be back in this pulpit uh, delivering God's word to, to, his, to uh, the church that God has allowed him to preside over. Um, and so uh, this morning, if you would, please, I'd love for you to meet me in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, if you have your Bible. Philippians chapter 1. As, uh, as you're turning there, let me just rush to express my gratitude again for your pastor, the opportunity to be here, um, to uh, give my greetings on behalf of my wife, who was taking care of our kids and serving at our church to allow me to be here. Um, she is a joy, and my two kids, as they, even though they trample upon my last nerve, I love them dearly. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. If you have it, say, I got it. If you don't say, wait, I'll wait for you. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12, says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare to dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach Christ out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Would you pray with me? Most eternal God, our Father, we thank you. God, that you are in control of all things. You are behind every intricate detail of our lives, God. When we can't see the, 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 the ways that you're working things out, God, we can trust your heart. So, Lord, it is now that we come. Lord, we have sung and told you how awesome you are. We have sung and told you that you are the everlasting God. But, Lord, this moment means nothing if you don't speak to our hearts. So, God, we pray that you would speak. God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are uh, fertile soil for your word, that it may produce fruit and fruit that remains. Now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart forever be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I trust. Those agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen, amen. Um, I want you to consider today for a subject, Jumpstart your joy. Jumpstart your joy. 
Um, as I told you guys, I'm father of two, and um, when Shane was first born, my, my wife graciously volunteered to, to, to stay at home, which is a very hard, hard job uh, to take care of our son. The time came, though, when it was time for her to transition back to daycare. I transition back to working, transition my son back to daycare. And any parent can tell you that that's just like a nerve-wracking experience because you have to find the right place. You have to find the right price. Amen, somebody? Uh, Are there safety measures in place? What are they going to be teaching my child? And as Shane began daycare, one of the downfalls was his exposure to germs. He would get sick every so often. And typically, Shana and I would have to take him to the doctor's office. Now, is this a safe place? Can I be honest with you? All right. Uh, Shane is like his father. Uh, when we get sick, everything shuts down. <laughs> and so when he would get sick, one of the grateful things that I experienced was those playrooms in the doctor's office. I would take Shane to the doctor's office, and we'd be sitting there, and he'd be on my lap, and he would not want to move. But he'd look over, peek out his eye, and and see the playroom. And before I knew it, he would get off my lap and start going over to the playroom. And see, the playroom are designed to distract the children from the pain of their problem until the problem gets fixed. The playroom gives them joy in an otherwise bad situation. See, it was a settled reality that we would see the doctor. The doctor would prescribe the medicine, and it would give him the remedy to his situation. But while he was waiting... The joy of the playroom kept him occupied. Can I submit to you today that that's the way God works? That even though things are not working out the way you desire on the outside, God has designed a playroom in your soul. And in the midst of our circumstances, the settled reality of who God is should give us joy until he makes provision for our deliverance. So as we pick up the passage this morning, Paul is arrested for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He is under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his hearing and verdict. And so the people of Philippi heard about his ordeal. They collected a love offering and sent it to him. And this thank you letter is what we call the book of Philippians. He would extend his usual greeting. He would send his thanksgiving and prayer. But as we pick up this passage, the ears of the congregation who this would be read to perked up. How is Paul? What's going on with him? This apostle who we saw mighty things being done through, I saw the foundations of the prison shaken, and he would walk out free men. Here he is now in Rome in prison. Has God abandoned Paul? What's happened to him? These are the questions they were asking, and Paul answers them with this clause. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. To friends eager for an update, Paul acknowledged some things that happened to him. These were unplanned, unwanted, and unpleasant things. Paul did not dwell on the details, but his focus was on the outcome of the ordeal. See, when Paul was with the Philippians, they saw these wondrous things, but Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but he would go as a prisoner. Be careful when your view of God doesn't leave room for the things you don't expect. Often our ability to find joy is how we define God in the midst of our trial. See, things happen to Christians. You don't have to do wrong for wrong things to happen to you. Adverse things happen to faithful Christians. But hear me, 
things do not just happen. God is in control. Man may have his wickedness, but God has his way. The Lord is able to employ, manipulate, and overrule your circumstances for his glory and the good of you and others. I know this to be true because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those are called according to his purpose. I remember back in college. Um, now, you know, back in college, we, we were we were po. Uh Couldn't afford the other O or the R. We were Poe. And uh, if you are familiar with uh, Pastor Pastor uh, Ernie um, from Epiphany Camden, he was my college roommate. And so I would take my old broke down Toyota Camry. Praise God. It got me from point A to point B, though. And we would go down to Pathmark to try to get some groceries. We tried to scrounge together what we could, bring it back. Now, one day it was snowing. And as we brought the groceries back, we had to park in the back of this long, I mean, just humongous parking lot. I mean, it was so big, Jesus had to turn around to see the end of it. And so, and so we, he parked in the back usually, but it was snowing. And who wants to park in the back and walk through the snow? So I did what any self-respecting college student would do. I parked in the front. I parked in the front and I got the groceries inside. Wouldn't you know I left the lights on? In the winter, yes, sir. I, I, I come back to my car the next day, and anybody who, who's had that experience knows your car is not going to turn on. And so I get to the car. Jesus, please, Lord, hi, please. Oh, Lord. Okay, so now fast forward the story. Another friend comes out, and he gets these jumper cables. Thank God for jumper cables. And one thing you know about jumper cables is there's a black side and there's a red side. Cross those wires, and your car is over, right? And and the reason is because the color corresponds to the charge. There's one that's a positive side and one that's a negative side. But both simultaneously work together to give your car power. I'm not just telling stories. There are things in your life, both positive and both negative, but they work together to give you power in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. So, so as we begin to tackle this idea of joy, I want to make some observations about joy. Is that all right? First thing I want you to know is that joy comes from confidence in God's sovereignty. Joy comes from confidence in God's sovereignty. Um, David would say it this way in Psalm 16. He says, Lord, you are my portion, my cup of blessing. You hold my future. Verse 6 says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. See, for some of us, joy seems like it's playing this cosmic game of hide and seek. We ask ourselves when it will be a present reality in our lives. And I want to help you this morning. The first step comes with knowing God. Listen to what David says here. He says, you are my portion. You are my cup of blessing. See, for David, he knew that everything in his life first had to be sifted through the hand of Almighty God. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. See, some of us have subscribed to this self-made ethic where we can feel like we can do it on our own. And the reality is that we are more frail than we dare to admit. We are all one accident, one phone call, one, one tragedy away from our lives being interrupted forever. And many of us struggle with that reality because we confuse our resource with the source. 
This is why weekend gatherings are crafted the way they are so that regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, you can grow and realize that your preconceived notions about God may be far from the reality. So you have to define joy. Kay Warren says it this way. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. Settled assurance, confidence in God. Quiet confidence, faith. And the predetermined choice to praise God in all things. See, many times we mix up the medium with the source. See, when you stream your music of choice, I don't know about you, but I don't listen to the radio anymore. I get in my car, I go to Spotify, I hit the little button, and I play what I want. Maybe it's Spotify, maybe it's Apple Music. If you have an Android phone, we'll pray for you after the service. Um, There are are no drums, there are no horns, there are no guitars inside of your device. Your phone is merely a conduit, a point of contact. All the music streaming service does is move the signal from another source and deliver it to you. And if you lose sight of this, you will give your phone more credit than it deserves. You'll put too much credit on the resource and forget the source. Here's my point. What gets delivered to you has come through a source. Your job, whether or not you like it or love it or hate it, it comes through a source. Your connections, when they've opened up doorways for you that you couldn't open for yourself, they come through a source. Your business, whether it's thriving or struggling, has come through A source. Your friends, even though they may trample upon your last nerve and talk about you behind your back or whatever else your situation may be, they come through a source. Your degree, even though there's letters after your last name and all kinds of good stuff, that comes through a source. Your intelligence, even though it's opened up doorways for you, even that comes through a source. So if we are going to tackle the idea of joy, we must realize that what you have can never be confused with the God who gave it to you. So as we pick up the passage this morning, Paul is going to tell us a few things about joy. And the first thing he's going to tell us is to choose to look beyond your present circumstances. Choose to look beyond. Notice what he says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's concerned friends wanted an update about his welfare. They wanted to know uh, the status of his missionary work. And his opening statement is the lens through which everything is seen. It is his spiritual perspective on earthly circumstances. Paul says that what happened to him is a catalyst for the progress of the gospel. See, the Lord will take our life lessons and use them to teach others about him. This return on investment, however, is short-circuited when we don't want people to know what's happened to us. Paul was the apostle who founded the church at Philippi. He did not seek to maintain a perfect image before their eyes. He says, I want you to know. What if I told you that your joy is greatly affected by those who choose to walk with? Beloved, finding freedom means not having to keep up an image that God never intended you to carry. Stop pretending to be perfect, pretending you have no issues, and find freedom today. The reality is that we come to Jesus by admitting that we're sinners, but then spend the rest of our lives trying to convince everybody else that we're not. 
and family community groups are designed to help you here. It's a place you can hear the words, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. It's where you grow deeper in who God made you to be, not who you pretend to be. This is why living woven is so important. Because growth in your purpose cannot be done in isolation. We need each other. And just like when you're driving down the highway, it happened to me this morning. There's a car in my blind spot, and I almost, God help me, got into an accident, right? I needed a mirror to show me what I could not see. In the same way, you need somebody to show you what you cannot see about yourself, and God will use the community of faith to do that for you. So Paul says, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. He wanted his brothers and sisters in Philippi to know the story. He didn't describe the scene. He didn't explain the plot. He didn't identify the villains, but he did focus on the author's intent. The full story is in Acts 21, but he just says nothing about the mob attack, the false arrest, the unfair trial, the shipwreck, the imprisonment. He summarizes the whole ordeal with this. What has happened to me? See, some of us, some of us, we don't want others to know what's happened to us. Others of us, We'll post about it on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. We'll repost every video and quote that goes along with our situation. We will subtweet somebody. Regardless of where you might land, one thing is true. Both camps miss God being at work. If you're so busy telling or even hiding your situation, you will miss what God is doing through your situation. He says, what has happened to me? has actually served to advance the gospel. That word there, it's a word picture for this Roman military that used to go in front of Caesar. This military, this small crew would go in front and clear debris and brush and make sure the path was straight for Caesar's agenda. It's a small team who creates a path for easier travel. Paul understands his circumstances in this Roman jail to be playing the part of God's advance team. What if you understood your circumstances as catapults for greater progress of the gospel? What if you took the focus off yourself and placed it on God where it belongs? What if your pain, your situation, and your ordeal was what God would use to let others know about him? One of the duties that I have at Epiphany Camden is that of photographer. And photography has changed so much over the years. Right now, if I wanted to, I could take out my camera or even my phone. I can take a picture of you all. I can edit it right in the camera. I can post it on the Internet right here, right now. But there used to be a time where you would take a picture and it would come out on this little thing called a negative. And, and if you really wanted to see the picture, you would have to take it to this person called a developer. And you go to this developer and this developer would take it to this place called the dark room. And in the dark room, he would develop your picture and then bring it back to you in living color. Now, here's what I know about it. If you look at a negative, it doesn't look too good. It's brown. There's no really color in it. There's no depth, no dimension. But you take it to the developer, and what comes back to you is in living color. It looks just like what you saw it in your mind when you took the picture. And so so these images are small. They're not easy to see. But here's what I want you to know. What we can't always see is what God is doing with our stuff. It may look like to you that all you're getting is one negative after another after another. But God is working on your negatives in a place called the dark room. 
in secret where we cannot see. And in the right time, he's going to bring them back to you in living color. We will see what God is up to. He's working something out that you don't know about. Hear me, beloved. God wastes no moments. In comes Moses. Moses, the deliverer. Moses, this this baby boy who was saved because of the courage of these midwives. And he would be raised into the the family of Pharaoh. This Moses would rise up, kill a man, and think he was going to deliver some people. And you find the next 40 years of Moses' life is in where nobody knows him, in the fields of Midian. You don't find much about that time. God would use that time to bring him to a burning bush to call him to go free the people. I don't know where you are in the story. Maybe you're at the beginning. Maybe you're in a place where you feel like God's not up to something. But, beloved, God wastes no moment to maximize his glory, to bring you and him on this divine path to bring others to know him. We can't always see what God is doing, but he's up to something, and we need to take joy in that. The ironic thing about the providence of God is you would assume that God, um, that Paul's confinement would lead to uh, a hindrance of the gospel. But Paul says here it advances the gospel. The gospel did not advance in spite of his confinement. It advanced through his confinement. The Lord transformed a setback into a springboard. See, this biblical truth will help you wherever you find yourself. You may be confined by the restrictions of youth, the weakness of old age, the pain of sickness, the challenges of family life, the responsibilities of work, the scarcity of finances, a valley of indecision. But God will use every struggle you have to bring him glory and give you greater grace. There are things in your life that confine you, but you do not have to live with the if only syndrome. The if only syndrome seduces you into believing that you have to be in a certain place at a certain time in a certain location with a certain set of circumstances in order for God to use you. The antidote is to to realize that God can use you right where you are. You don't need to qualify. You need no minimum work experience. You need only to be willing. God will use you exactly where you are and who you are. See, typically we read the Bible And we think that these people that are in there are these varsity players that just got it all together. But 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 Moses was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. Noah was he got drunk. Right. These people were flawed people. Abraham lied and pimped out his wife twice. These are people who were deeply flawed, but God used them. Certainly God can use you, too. So to ask Paul, though. How he was doing is to ask him how the gospel was doing. It didn't matter what happened to him. If the gospel events, Paul was content, even if it meant that he did not taste freedom again. This raises the question for us. What does the gospel mean to you? Here's why you have to put the gospel first, because there are things that will happen to you that you cannot handle, understand or overcome unless you see it from a gospel centered perspective. See, true Christianity is a life of gospel sacrifice. And if you're going to choose joy this morning, you have to look beyond your gridlock to the gospel. God is up to something. Not only do we have to have confidence in God's sovereignty, we have to choose to see the benefits of our situation. See, when Paul was mobbed by the Jews, arrested by the Romans, he had the privilege of his Roman citizenship to appeal to Caesar. 
And that privilege brought him to have an audience with Caesar. And so he is now under house arrest in Rome. And this isn't like he had a, you know, a little device around his ankle. This is he is chained to the Roman Imperial Guard, the Green Beret, the special secret service of Rome. Every four hours, another serviceman would come and chain himself to Paul. Every four hours, they saw what Paul was doing. See, during their shifts, the, the, the soldiers had to watch Paul. They saw his mood. They saw his actions and reactions. They saw him in casual and serious conversations. They saw his prayer habits. They saw him read and write letters. They saw him care for others. They saw him entertain guests. For two years, the Imperial Guard got an up-close and personal look at what kind of man Paul was. Furthermore, what kind of conversations do you think they had with Paul? If, 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 if I could just have some homiletical latitude here, I, I believe that they would come to Paul and say, how you doing, Brother Paul? He'd say, I'm fine. Have you heard of the lily of the valley? How you doing, Brother Paul? I'm doing fine. Have you heard of the bright and morning star? How you doing, Brother Paul? I'm doing fine. Have you heard of the way out of no way? How you doing, Brother Paul? I'm doing fine. Have you heard of Jesus, my Savior? These chains don't keep me locked up because the freedom that Christ has given me has set me free indeed. So, so Paul, Paul says he had a captive audience, literally, to preach to. See, lost people were saved through Paul's imprisonment. And according to Romans 1.15, Paul says he was eager to preach in Rome, but he arrived as a prisoner and not a missionary. He did not preach to Roman citizens. He preached to the imperial guard. Yet God used the message of Christ to spread throughout Rome. How do I know? I'm glad you asked. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's households. Paul was able to get the gospel to the elite Praetorian guard, something he could not have done as a free man. You may be in a situation that you cannot change if you could. You tried, but you can't. You may have questions. Why me? Why this? Why now? But let me answer your question with the question. Is it possible that the Lord has placed you in this unwanted situation to use you to win someone to Jesus? You may be not chained by the imperial guard, but you are being watched. You're being watched by your unbelieving family members that you may live with. You're being watched by the unbelieving family members you may see next week when you're the resident prayer person because they, you know that you saved now. Uh, you're being watched by co-workers that at that job you cannot stand. You're being watched by doctors and nurses who treat your sicknesses. You're being watched by friends and followers on social media. You're being watched by people who know you but do not know Jesus. So let me ask you this. Does your reaction to those adverse circumstances point to the God who is in control even when you're not? Or does it point to someone who doesn't really believe God through their circumstances? Regardless of how God has wired you, I can say with certainty that you were made to make much of him. And this means we do all we can to leverage every opportunity to make his name great. This fuels the passion that we have about a lifestyle of worship. See, purpose lies at the intersection of your gifts and your passion. And in that place, you'll find joy. When it gets hard, you won't quit because your work is embedded in one that is greater than you. See, God will use your setbacks, your imprisoning circumstances, the things that seem to hold you down to push his gospel forward. 
God will ensure that all your fallouts are with forward motion. And this is why growth track is designed. It is designed to push you towards your God-given purpose. It will help you find the intersection of your gifts and purpose. And church, there's joy in that place. And the joy that will keep you serving even when you encountered some church folk. Don't amen too hard. They might be on your row. Here it is, though. God, God is working. Philippians chapter 1, verse 14 says, Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare to speak the word more fearlessly. The saints in Rome were somewhat fearful about this witness for Christ in the imperial city. And Paul's imprisonment may have complicated things. But they watched Paul's unwavering devotion to Christ in two years of imprisonment. And Paul calls it my imprisonment. He owned it because the Lord was working through it. Paul's imprisonment nurtured the saints to have confidence in the Lord. They, they began to speak with more boldness, without fear. And this, the rub for us is that we should be people who proclaim the word of God with boldness, without fear. We often have excuses, though. I don't know the... The, the theological jargon. I don't, I don't understand certain things. I don't have all the answers. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Can I help you this morning? Three words. I don't know. There's freedom there. Um, I have a witness. John chapter 9. We find a man who was born blind. The Pharisees were seeking to dig up dirt on Jesus, and they began interrogating this man. Here's the man's response, though. I was blind. I met Jesus. Now I see. They bring his family. Is this your son? Uh, they try to look up his record. Uh, I was blind. I met Jesus. Now I see. They bring up theological arguments. How could this man be say, or excuse me, be healed? This man did this all this work. You sure that this is the man who did this to you? Uh, I was blind. I met Jesus. Now I see. They dig up his past. Aren't you the same one that used to beg outside? I was blind. I met Jesus. Now I see. Here's the point. You don't have to have all the theological arguments. You don't have to have copious amounts of scripture memorized. But there is power in your testimony. Amen. Hear me, church. Your, your testimony is not just how you act in church when you're blessed. It's how you may skip out on church when things aren't going well. Your testimony is not just how you sing when the sun is shining. It's how you complain when the rain is falling. Your testimony is not just what you say when the Lord works it out. It's what you say as you're going through. See, when we rejoice in the Lord through it all, the Lord will use you to strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. But Christ must be more important than your personal agenda. Paul wanted to preach in Rome. It was on his missionary itinerary list. He joyfully accepted his imprisonment because it meant everything to him. But you may not be the one that God uses to do it, but God may use your circumstances to bring somebody else to do it. The question for us is, are you okay with that? When you have your mind focused on him, you rejoice on what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. Paul's change only gave him contact with the lost, but it gave him courage to the saved. And the reason so many of us struggle to find joy is that Christ is not in his rightful place. We've allowed our family, relationships, those late night visits from him or her. It's quiet in the Lord's church. That job, our financial situation to become our source. And when it doesn't satisfy and it won't, we complain. 
But hear me, the same Jesus who is willingly our Savior is the same Jesus who demands to be our Lord. Not only do we have to believe in God's sovereignty, thirdly, we have to choose to believe that God's at work. The saints at Rome spoke boldly without fear, and they did it, though, for different motives. Paul says he was the victim of friendly fire. Verse 18 says his response. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. See, some preached Christ to make things worse for Paul. The word picture there is that they were pressing the chains on his hands. And Paul says, so what? It did not matter if they put him down as long as they lifted Christ up. See, you can handle anything when Christ is your everything. Um, so I grew up primarily, my, my, my grandmother and my grandfather raised me. And um, one of my favorite pastimes was watching Saturday morning cartoons with my grandfather. Now, when I say that, I may have lost so many of you. Uh, I, I, I'm talking about Looney Tunes, where some of them were in, like, black and white. Uh, I'm talking about Heathcliff the cat. Lost about half of y'all. Uh, but one of my favorites, though, was Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye had, like, the largest forearms known to man. And if you ever watch Popeye, you know that my guy Popeye was loyal to his girl Olive Oil. And, and I must admit that I never saw what Popeye saw in Olive Oil. But if you watched it, you know that there was an antagonist in this cartoon named Bluto. And Bluto wanted olive oil, too. So every episode, there'd be this clash between Bluto and Popeye. And I mean, Pluto, Bluto excuse me, would beat Popeye down. I mean, I watched one episode. Bluto hit Popeye so hard, he went over homes, neighborhoods, and communities. I watched one episode where he, he took him into a restaurant and started cleaning the tables with Popeye. Uh, but 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 I never watched Popeye to see Popeye get beat down. I, I watched Popeye because I knew there was this moment coming where somewhere, whether it be strapped to his belt or something, he'd find this can of spinach. And he'd pop that top open and it would just go out and then come he'd chew that thing up and, 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 and there would be this moment where what, what once beat him down, he began to beat up. Um, um, he, Popeye would chew it and get strengthened and all of a sudden he got strength to stand for something that was greater than him before that. Uh, I'm not just telling stories. Something, sometimes you won't be able to have strength in your own power to deal with your circumstances. And I don't have a diet that's going to that's gonna do that for you. But what I do have is 66 books right here that they will be out external to you, get on the inside of you and strengthen you to stand in the presence of your enemies. Popeye, my guy Popeye, he teaches us what it's like to have resolve in the midst of our circumstances. So Paul, Paul here, he, he's teaching us that we shouldn't just put ourselves on hold until our circumstances change. There are many of us who have our praise, our worship and our service held hostage. Then we deliver ransom notes to Jesus and say, if you don't fix this, I'm not going to do it. So many of us are waiting for the perfect moment to get involved when this situation changes, when this hardship passes. And listen, I love you enough to say this to you. If you're waiting for the perfect moment, you're going to be waiting forever. This could be your finest moment where God produces the most fruit in your life. 
God wants you to make a difference in the lives of others. So, beloved, what if your joy was at the end of the help you extend to others, despite your situation? Here's what I can say. Join a wonder team. Get involved. See, so many of us say we love Jesus and then we criticize his bride. Uh, Let me just say this. If you come to my house and you criticize my bride, I'm going to lay hands and it's not going to be biblical. If you love Jesus and you name the name of Christ, he has called you to make an eternal difference. I'm almost done now. My last point. Choose joy because of Jesus. Verse 19 and verse 20. Because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and my hope is that I will not be ashamed of anything. But now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's what Paul just shared with us. Joy is embedded in the unchanging constant, the present reality that Jesus is in control. It is anchored to the assurance of our Savior. Here's what, here's what we don't know based on the text. Paul is awaiting a verdict he doesn't know. Paul is awaiting his fate that lies in the hands of someone else that he can't convince. And instead of concentrating on the things that he can't control, he uses time to serve others. How many of us look at our situations and say, I'm going I'm to wait because I don't know what's going to happen with me. Meanwhile, others are hurting and you have the answer in you. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Hear it now. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the same, and sat down at the right hand of God. How is it that, that Jesus could endure the punishment It is because there was joy about knowing that once his work was completed, he would rejoin the Father. Jesus knew that every step closer to the cross of Calvary was a step closer to the redemption of all. When he would see Judas betray him, when he was taken by the religious leaders and beaten all through the night, when he looked into the eyes of one of his closest friends as they denied him three times. When they crowned him with thorns, when they hung him high and stretched him wide, when the father ultimately rejected him as he became sin for us. See, Jesus shows us that God will take our worst moments and use them as a catalyst to bring others to know him. And if God can use the worst moment in human history, certainly your situation can be used to. We have to take joy in that church. We find ourselves in an opportunity now. The, 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 the way we find joy is by first knowing who he is. There may be some of you in this building whose attendance in church you falsely believe that you, you know Jesus. But attendance in church doesn't mean you're saved. I grew up in church. I mean, on the front row, Grandma brought me every Sunday. I didn't get saved till college, though. 
I heard the messages. I heard the preacher preach. I heard. I knew when to stand up and say amen. I knew the culture just like it was the back of my hand. But I wasn't saved until college. There may be some of you who are falsely believing that your attendance means your allegiance. And that is not true. Jesus desires your heart, not necessarily your attendance. If he has your heart, the attendance comes. If he has your heart, the service comes. If he has your heart, joy comes. So many of us, we struggle because we're going through things. I know the scripture to say it this way. Weeping may endure the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we think of morning usually as a time of day, but morning happens when you wake up. We're in a position now where God is maybe beckoning you in your heart. It's time to wake up. It's time to take joy in my presence, the subtle reality of who I am. Don't leave this moment if you don't know where you are going to go. God is calling you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you because we can take joy in you despite our circumstances. I don't know how these your people may have walked in here. I don't know what circumstances they're going through, Lord, but you do. And Lord, if they if they ran in here excited or if they limped in here empty, God, I pray that you would fill us all with your spirit. That you would empower us to take joy in the settled reality that you are in control despite all we see. God, when we, when we can't trace your hand, God, allow us to trust your heart. You're up to something. You're in control. And you're good. We don't define your goodness based off of what we can see. We define goodness based off of your character. And Lord, if we need no other reminder, the cross of Calvary gives us everything we need to know that you're good. Because while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. We thank you, Jesus. God, may you take this reality, place it into our hearts, and allow us to serve you with joy and with gladness. This is your servant's prayer. In Jesus' name I pray.